The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Happy New Year's. I hope you're doing well. Um, listen, this is going to be an odd week for us because it's an odd week just in general. Um, this is uh, that, that mysterious week that falls after Christmas and then before the, the, you know, the, the real year starts, right? You have this, this, this week and it's weird. And so many are traveling, and, and if you're one of those who are here and you're traveling to be here, thank you for joining us. Um, weird week, so we're going to let it be weird for us too. So here's, here's what, I, uh, what I mean. Um, we've been in Matthew, um, walked through Advent. We're going to be in Matthew next week. Um, continue walking. This week, though, is a weird one, and we're going to be taking a little bit of a different approach this week. Um, I've mentioned this before. I love New Year's. I love this time of year uh, for me. It's my favorite time of year. It's a season of hope. It's a season of, of newness. And, you, you know, none of us know what next year holds. None of us do. And, um, and yet, even in spite of that, um, I get this sense of hope and what if. And I love that. I love this time of year. And I know some of you are New Year's Scrooges, as I will call you. And you're like, bah, been here before. This is not my first. I'll pray for you, all right? Um, but for those of us who aren't New Year's Scrooges, this is a wonderful time of year. And that sense of hope, for some, turns into New Year's resolutions. Um, for others, it doesn't. Either way, though, it's that sense of hope that I love in this time of year. Um, like I said, we're sandwiched last week, finishing Advent and Matthew. Um, next week, we're going to be continuing Matthew as we step into chapter 2. But this week, right in between, we have this special standalone week on our preaching calendar. I've been praying, where would you have us go, Lord? And um, this text has just been on my heart and on my mind. And so I'm excited to get the flexibility of, of going somewhere different. So if you have your Bibles, um, turn with me, not to Matthew, but turn with me to the book of Lamentations. And um, I apologize if this is the only Bible that you brought. You're not going to find it in this. That's okay. If this is all you got, I will have it on the screen for you um, as we go. So I don't know if, how many of you have read Lamentations, but Lamentations is exactly like it sounds, a lament. It's, uh, it's sad. It's a, it's, a, it's a lament. It's a sad book by intent and by design. Um, a lament is simply to express grief. And um, that's exactly what this book is in so many ways. Uh, the book of Lamentations is a bit unique. It's made up of five poems that all come together to form the book, and each is this expression of grief over the fall of Jerusalem. And um, honestly, this book, if you could sum it up, it's just like, things shouldn't be this way. Like, there's destruction and loss, a loss of a nation. I mean, there is this lament here. 
Um, a scholar put it that this book is basically like a eulogy. And a eulogy is kind of like, you know, at a funeral when, when you give this lament to mourn the loss. Well, in Lamentations, it's like a lament for the loss of an entire nation. And that's what we're looking at here. Uh, even though this book does not give us an author, most believe it was written by the prophet Jeremiah. And it was written right after the disastrous fall of Jerusalem in, in 586, which we are not going to have time to go through the depths of this one, but it comes off the heels of pain and disaster. That's what I need us to grab hold of. Um, in fact, I'll say it again. If you've ever looked at your life and just thought, man, things shouldn't be this way. Um, it shouldn't be like this. How could things have gotten to this? Like if you've ever done that, you can relate to this book. For Israel, you know, thinking, God, we're supposed to be your people, the recipients of your blessing, not the recipients of your judgment um, and your wrath. It shouldn't be like this. This morning, we're not going to have time to go through the whole book. Um, we're not. Instead, uh, what we're going to be doing is looking at what I'm going to call the meat of the book. So if you think of the book like a hamburger, it's what I do. All right. Lamentations is a little bit like a hamburger. You have the top bun, which is chapters one through three, and it's just a big old nasty bun of lament, okay? Then you have the bottom bun, which is, you know, chapters three through five, which is another bun of lament. But sandwiched right in the middle of that, man, we get some meat. And uh, for all you keto people, you're going to love it because we're skipping the buns this morning. We're, we're honing in with the time we have on the meat. And so I want you to, um, want you to follow with me here. I'm not going to go through the whole book again. But what I am going to do is I'm going to go really quickly through the part leading up to our text. And I think as I read it, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to take in the tone and... Um, Maybe imagine yourself saying this to God, because some of you are like, can I do that? Um, just imagine, okay? So this is going to set the tone. It's going to get us to our, to our text. So um, Lamentations, I'll start in verse 1. It says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He's broken my bones. He's besieged me, enveloped me with bitterness, tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. Fun stuff, right? Fun stuff. I, I don't want you to rush past this. This is directed at God. These pronouns here, he's saying, God, you did this. You, you did this. And he continues, he Verse 7, has walled me about so I cannot escape. He's made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He's made my paths crooked. Verse 10, listen to this. He's like, he's a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He's turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He has bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. <laughs> he drove into my kidneys. That's specific. The arrow of his quiver. I have become a laughingstock to all peoples. 
the object of their taunts all day long. He's filled me with bitterness and has sated me with wormwood. Um, a few more verses, just because we're not encouraged enough at this point. Um, he has made my teeth grind on gravel. Oh, it made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. It's gone. So has my hope from the Lord. All right. All of that is leading up. It's the depths of despair right here. Uh, so much that he cries out, like, my endurance is gone. I can't do this anymore. Uh, my, and my hope in the Lord is gone. It's just gone. This is a dark, dark moment, a dark night of the soul right here. And I think many of us in our own ways, in our own lives, um, even before we get to our text, we can relate in some ways to this feeling. It's very human to feel despair and to know what this feels like. I don't, not to say that many of us know what grieving the loss of a nation feels like, um, like we see in our text, but many of us, most of us, we've been through a season of mourning a season of grieving, a season when things are not the way they should be, a season maybe of painful loss, a season of despair, a season where maybe we would say, hey, my endurance is gone. I can't take it anymore. I mean, this is really relatable. Um, and yet we aren't left there in Lamentations because this morning we get to our text, Lamentations 19, going into verse 24, also known in my words as the meat, Okay. Here we go. In the midst of all that pain, all that suffering, all of that mourning, with that in our minds, all the lamenting, verse 19, let's look at our text together. Says this, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. So I remember it. It's not gone away. It's I'm still, I'm still facing it. I still remember it. I still feel it. And then verse 21, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Okay, before we even read the next verse, before we read about the content of the hope, can you just take in the contrast here? Verse 18, my endurance is done and so is my hope in the Lord. Verse 21, but this I call the mind and therefore I have hope. What a contrast. Here's the beauty of our hope right here. Even before we talk about the content of our hope, like the prophet is saying, look, I am crushed. I'm saying that I am done. I'm saying that I can't go on. My hope in the Lord, I'm saying it's done. And, 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 and that's what I'm saying in light of everything that I feel. And then yet in verse 21, that same prophet Staring at the same situation, the same circumstances, says, although I said all that, I'm calling this to mind, and therefore my hope's not dead. My hope's not gone after all. Therefore, I have hope. And I think this is so profoundly human, part of being human, for us to feel despair, to give in to despair, to verbalize despair. I'm a verbal processor, so I word vomit all the time. And, and to, it's so human to just give in to the despair. But even in the beginning of this text, in the midst of that despair, 
um, there's the truth of that psalm that says, though the sorrow might last for the night, joy comes in the morning. You feel it here. The same prophet who could not continue, who could not have hope here in verse 21, it's continuing in hope because hope outlasts despair. Hope outlasts despair. Despair is very real. It's deep, it's painful, but it's not forever. And it will fade. And yet our hope in the Lord will not. The sorrow of the night will one day give way to the morning. And that's what we're witnessing right here. Verse 21 says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Look at verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. There is a lot there. (laughs) Um, But this is what he calls to mind. This is what gives him hope. And it's one thing. I can boil it down to one thing. God is faithful. God is faithful. His love never ceases. His mercies never cease. They're new every morning, each and every week, each and every year. They're new. God is faithful, great is his faithfulness. And I want to pull out three things from this um, in our time together, three aspects of his faithfulness that I want us to see here. And the first is this, God is faithful even in our failure. We didn't have time to get into this. (laughs) But the destruction that they were facing, that they were lamenting, the pain, listen, it was largely due to their own disobedience their own foolishness, their own sin, their own unbelief. In other words, they had been unfaithful. And on the heels of that, on the heels of their own unfaithfulness, God is faithful. God is faithful even as, even when we are not. His faithfulness never fails or ceases even when ours does. And this is so important. I want you to hear this. Your faithfulness is not the prerequisite to his faithfulness. That's as true today as it was true then. And this is the joy of the gospel that our God is faithful. What does that mean? It means that he's able to be trusted completely in everything God has said, everything he has promised, everything he has ever said or promised is yes and amen and sure. He's faithful. It means he'll never let you down. It means he'll never fail to keep his word. It means he never changes his mind. It means he's never lied. Um, This is a season of New Year's resolutions where many of us make grand promises that are, wait, what did I promise? Like on January 15th, God's never done that. His faithfulness never fails. And so our faithful God accomplishes the work so that we who are unfaithful can know him and walk in his faithfulness forever because we, unlike our God, are so often unfaithful not doing what we promised, not always keeping our word, not always being trustworthy, often changing our minds, often lying, going back on our word. Just like the people here in Lamentations. We often 
give our hearts to other gods. We often chase them, pursue them, make them, buy them, thinking we know better, and yet God is faithful even as we are not. This text is such a beautiful example of God's faithfulness and grace that no matter what you have done, no matter how much you have messed things up to this point, no matter how dire it looks, God is faithful. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies are new each and every morning, each and every week, each and every year. Great is his faithfulness. His faithfulness is greater than your sin, and it's greater than your failure. It's like that, um, there's this newer Christmas song. We've sung it here before, but, Oh, come all you unfaithful. Come weak and unstable. Come know you're not alone. Listen, that's what it is. It's come all you unfaithful because what? Because he is faithful. In Lamentations, God yet again shows us he is faithful to us. And how great is our hope, by the way, that our hope is not based on our faithfulness or lack thereof, but on his. And I just want to drill down on this. That means whatever you're facing, whatever you're facing today, whatever you will face in the year to come, whatever, he is faithful and he will do what he said he will do. His promises are yes and amen. In a very real way, through Christ, um, God is faithful to you and God is faithful for you in a very real way, which is crazy, mind-blowing, but the truth of the gospel, that's how faithful your God is. So come, all you unfaithful, because our God is faithful. But it's not just that. I want to go one more thing, or actually, I have two more, but the next one. God is faithful no matter our current situation. Um, and I want, to, I want to really settle in on this because here in our book, there's a huge shift that took place, and I think you heard it, of despair, awfulness, arrows in my liver, teeth in the gravel, like, I think it was arrows in the kidney, actually, that's what it said. Bones are breaking, wasting away, dark, 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 darkness, and then out of nowhere, we have this light, we have hope, we have this huge shift. Let me ask you, where did it come from? Let me ask that in a more clear way. Did the situation change? <laughs> did the people of Israel who had been conquered, sent into captivity, did they suddenly win a victory and out of captivity, pushing back against those attackers? Did they suddenly recapture and retake Jerusalem? Yes. Did they do that? No. No, they did not. They were still captives. They're, the temple was still destroyed. And the situation still looked the same. So let me ask, what changed? The situation didn't change. The faithfulness of God did not change. The thing, the thing that changed was the heart of this prophet, the heart of Jeremiah, the, percep, the perception of this prophet. What we see in this text, and one of the reasons I love this so much, is exactly for the reason that the situation did not change. And there's this hope that rises up in the prophet's heart and that hope changes everything in the midst of hardships. It reminds me, should remind us, that we don't need to wait to get our lives together and to get things the way they should be. You don't have to wait for your situation to be better before you can fix your eyes on the hope we have. 
before we can have and walk in hope. In other words, you don't need to wait for the morning to know that hope is coming, to know that those mercies are new and to know he is faithful and that sun will rise. This is the power of our hope in Jesus. And in through every situation we face, we know that our hope is sure and the pain that we face will not last forever. The sadness, the lament, it will not last forever and yet our hope in Christ will. And actually, let me say this a little more clearly. Our hope is not gonna last forever. You know why? Because one day it's gonna be fully realized. Completely realized. When Christ returns, the old is gone, the new things are here. Our hope is gonna last until that day. This is our hope, our living hope, Jesus. And so no matter what we face, no matter what's going on in your life today, I don't know. No matter what it is, no matter how dark the night potentially is, God is faithful and our hope is sure because he is faithful. And it's interesting to me. I said we were looking at the the meat of Lamentations. But you know what that means. We're not going to have time to get to it, but you know what that means. It's surrounded by two buns. So what does that mean? It means that right after the prophet expresses this hope, guess what happens? Woo! Right back into the bun of lament. The situation has not changed. Right after expressing this truth, the steadfast and unfailing faithfulness of God, he will go right back to lament. And I find this really powerful, really powerful, because it reminds me again, the situation has not yet changed and still in the midst of, they're still right in the heart of that struggle. And how relatable is that? Our call is to trust in the steadfast love and faithfulness of our God and to draw from that hope in whatever we are facing today. Don't wait for the morning to hope for the morning. Joy of Christ is that we now have hope even in and through the darkest of nights. As David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. And your rod, your staff, they, they comfort me. How can David say that? How can we say that? How could the prophet say this in our text in Lamentations 3? It's because God is faithful. He always is. He always will be in whatever we face. So God is faithful even when you're not. And God is faithful even when our situation is difficult. And then number three is God is faithful even in light of an unknown future. Um, okay, I, I think it's only natural for us to want to know answers. I'm a control freak. It is definitely naturally natural for me to want to know all the answers about everything, to want to know the how of everything. How is it going? I, how is it going to work out? To know the details, but you know this, and if you don't, I'm going to give you a gift. That is rarely the way this life works. It's easy I'm going to put something on the screen here because I think it's easy for us to live under the wrong interpretation of Romans 8, 28. 
Here's what I mean. Let's put it up here. So we know how for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Quote that all day. Only that's a misquote. That is a direct wrong quote of this verse. Let's put the right one up here. The actual verse says this, for we know that. For those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That is a massive word change. Most times in life, we are left with this reality that we know that it's all gonna work together for the good, but rarely are we given the how. Wouldn't it be so much easier if we were given the how? If we were given those details, we aren't. For Jeremiah, for the people of Israel, they did not know how. They didn't know how things were gonna work out, how things were gonna come together, how things were gonna be restored. They did not know. But in the midst of all that they were facing, here's what they did know. He knew that all things were gonna work together. He knew that things were going to work out. He knew that things would one day be restored. Uh, And so even when the future is unclear, Jeremiah would call this to mind and have hope. God is faithful. I do not know the how, but I do know the that, and I stand on the faithfulness of God. The same is true for us, for you today, church. You may not, I will even say that stronger, stronger, you do not know the hows. You don't know how all of it's gonna work out. You don't know how all of it's gonna come together. You do not know how God is going to bring all things together for the good. You do not know that. You do not know it, but that's the true beauty and, and joy of the hope we have. Because you do know that he is going to work all things together. You do know that it will be brought together. You do know that God is going to work it out. This is the beauty and joy of the hope that we have. It's trusting in the that even when we're not given the how. It's the joy of our hope. It's that we're able to trust in the faithfulness of God even when we do not know the details of the future that we stare into. Verse 21, but I call this to mind. Therefore, I have hope. The steadfast of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. See, God is faithful even when we are unfaithful. God is faithful no matter what situation you are facing today. And God is faithful even staring into an unknown future. God is faithful. And it leads to the final verse. And I love this statement. I love the way this is all summed up. Verse 24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is my portion. What on earth does that mean? Um, This word, it refers to an inheritance. It it, It refers to a portion of wealth that we that we receive. It's a phrase, it's an idea that we see all throughout the Psalms. I'm gonna give you a couple of them so you get the weight of this word. Um, but every time it's used, it's, it's used to express the complete satisfaction in the good share. In God alone. Let me show you a few of these. Um, Psalm 16 says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. 
you hold my lot. And listen to this, the lines have fallen for me in some really pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Oh, I love that. One more, uh, just to get a picture of this, Psalm 73, my flesh and my heart may fail. Lamentations. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He's so good. In each of these, there's this sense where the psalmist is saying, God, you are everything. And in you, God, I have everything. It's so fitting that Jeremiah would use this term in Lamentations 3. Why? Because in Lamentations, in the face of disaster, when the prophet is left with nothing, Nothing but God. When everything else is taken, gone, he has nothing but God, there is this powerful realization. He has nothing but God, and yet in God, he has everything. That is a beautiful realization. There's this old saying in the church that that'll preach. Church, that will preach. Like, I have nothing but God, but then I realize that in God, I have everything. Everything that I have need. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. And I love that he says, says my soul. Um, This is a deep cry. And if you've noticed, the prophet's been saying a lot of things with his lips or pen. His lips have been spouting off a lot of other things. But here, my soul, from the depths of my soul, I know that the Lord is my portion. He is all that I need, and he's forever faithful. That's what it means that God is his portion. There's an old hymn, Give Me Jesus, and one of the stanzas of it says, Take the world, but give me Jesus. Sweetest comfort of my soul with the Savior watching over me, I can sing though thunders roll. The Lord is my portion. And he continues, and he says, Therefore, I will hope in him. So here's, here's what I want us to rest in. Church, our hope, our true hope, is not in our circumstances, It's not tied to the season that we're in. It's not tied to our health, our relationships, our bank accounts, our jobs. Our true hope is not tied to how awesome 2024 is going to be. Our hope is Jesus. Hope is the faithfulness of our God that never fails, that he is faithful when you are not, that he is faithful no matter what your current situation is, and that he is faithful no matter what the future holds. He is faithful. And his faithfulness is our portion. And it's the best portion. And because that is true, whatever this new year faces, this New Year's Eve, whatever this new year faces, whatever we face, we can say with Jeremiah, therefore, I will hope in him. And I want to encourage you as you think about, as you make plans, if you're a resolution kind of person, I love you. As you make those resolutions, um, listen, God is faithful. You may be unfaithful in your resolutions. He is not. He has never failed in one single New Year's resolution. Not a one. He's never failed in anything he has promised. He is faithful, and he will be faithful in the days ahead. And we stand on that. That is our hope. I love this time of year.